0: Hi there, my name is Johnny Meatsack. Like you, I once held a normal life in a normal place with a normal job. I had a normal family. Hi, Karen. And simply thought I'd live my normal life to a normal death. One day, however, I experienced this thing called gnosis. A direct revelation of a truer but distant reality, and the realization that my reality was a fabricated construct. I discovered my life was a lie and my identity was as synthetic as Alexa or Siri. And that the universe itself was a penitentiary built by cosmic overlords to trap and feed off my dormant, authentic consciousness. Jimney crickets, I thought. My only choices were to join an awareness-killing cult like a political party, or just kill myself. But by some luck or providence, <coughs> Sophia's grace, I discovered Aeon Byte Radio. Despite the host's creepy monologues and the show's blasphemous topics... I was able to develop the ability to uncover my authentic consciousness and deal with this prison planet. In other words, this gnosis grew until I was a fully divine being, no longer in the thrall of entities called Archons and their soul-numbing, amnesia-causing powers. Thank you, Aeon Byte, for waking me up to my true eternal nature. Everything is still normal these days, except me, Johnny Meatsack. I'm on the adventure of many lifetimes to be completely liberated from the Black Iron Prison. Welcome, everybody, to Aeon Byte and Aeon Byte Live. And welcome, you too, Johnny Meatsack. Welcome to your live, there's no turning back. And we will watch you even while you sleep on your best behavior, riffing from, yes, tears for fears. And we're all Johnny Meat Sacks in this world, and we're all trying to do something about it. So, again, welcome. My name is Miguel Connor. I am still your Pompadas of Gnosis, that madman across the waters. So, a very special show today on this Tuesday, this Mars day, as the war pigs get themselves riled up and rev their engines to keep us going down into World War III or whatever rhyme and history, as uh, Mark Twain said, nothing new under the sun, except, of course, for your awakening. As uh, Clark Emery said, the awakening of of an individual is a cosmic event, and that's what matters. So uh, with us too, it is uh, an honor to have once again at the Virtual Alexandria, Saul Luckman. Saul, thank you very much for coming back.
1: Thank you for having me again. You have such a steady stream of high-level, amazing guests. I'm just very grateful to be here.
0: Well, thank you. You're certainly one of them. And yes, I am very blessed to have these guests And uh, if anything, just to share information so people can make up their own damn minds, as the Oracle told Neo in The Matrix. That's it. You, as I tell people, you are the final authority, and it's up to you to take this information and just make yourself uh, find out who you are. And with us, too, always glad to have Graham Pong here as the co-host. Graham, how are you today?
2: Pretty good. Still walking off those late book fees here at the
0: Library of Alexandria. (laughs) Yes, back to the Seinfeld episode. That's one of my favorites with the guy looking for his fees for his books. A classic scene, but uh, I'm sure you'll be able to. Well, with inflation, you probably can't pay it off, but so it is. It's 2023. Uh, Yes, and for those of you wondering, uh, Vance once again got caught caught up in his Clark Kent identity Life, so he is uh, busy with some work, day work, and so forth. So he won't be able to join us, but he will be joining us this Saturday. We have another exciting live show. We will be talking about Carl Jung and the tarot, tarot, whatever you want to call it. And we will have a scholar who's written the one and only peer reviewed paper on Jung and the tarot. So Vance will join us in an exciting show. So I think that's it right now for any sort of housekeeping. Again, please subscribe, like, uh, support. I can certainly use the help in these days. And uh, your support is definitely, definitely very, I thank you very much. And it keeps this red pill cafeteria open, keeps the lights of the Pleroma going. For those of you in the chat, as always, please don't turn it into, don't bring in the wetico and turn the chat into the chatico. But if you have any questions for Saul, or if you have any complaints against me, please uh, super chat them so we can separate them and get to your questions without missing them. You can throw in something as low as a dollar if you want, but again, it keeps with, anytime you do a super chat, it just separates you into another column, your start, and we can get to your questions for sure. Instead of uh, losing you in the long stream of commenters, not only on YouTube, but we do live stream directly from my Facebook page and my private Facebook group. So it's quite a lot of people watching when it comes down to it. All right, well, let's get to the main event. Saul, so tell us about your new book, which I really enjoyed, The World, Colt, and You. Oh, wow. On the
1: spot. <laughs> Well, it's about the world being a big cult, basically, if you wanted to boil it down. And a cult that takes many forms and many disguises and often does not look like a cult at all, especially to the unawakened, to, you know, Johnny Meatsack and the Normies. (laughs) That's a good band name, by the way.
0: I love it. (laughs) Um,
1: So uh, I, I look at, I began really diving into this concept some time ago and it just crystallized after I wrote a series of articles this summer on on the cult what I was calling the cult of the simulacrum and I really mean the world cult by that but there's a kind of pun in there for people who are in the know and I I was trying to figure out to the best of my ability to the best of my gnosis how this "Quote unquote reality construct works like what it's doing at a functional level, not not uh, entirely the why aspect or uh, what is going on, but the how was what really really intrigued me." And I, I fell back on a lot of, um, let's say, shamanic concepts having to do with uh, the, the flyers, the mud flyers, the mud shadows, the flyers, the, the parasitic dream, dream world entities that feed on people. Um, and uh, also the notion of the Demiurge and the Lord Archon, all of the Sakla's uh, stuff that you get out of Gnosticism that I write about in Cali the Destroyer. That was uh, that was really on the table for me too. I did a lot of cross referencing, where I saw uh, similar references coming out of like other shamanic traditions from Mesoamerica. Like there is a a writer named Sergio Magaña who writes books on the on the Toltec lineage, and it's not to be confused with Castaneda's books. And also in that world, you have these dream beings that that can parasitically feed on people. Of course, you have John Lash and the idea of mind parasites and and that sort of thing. So I was really putting a lot of pieces together to figure out how we are being uh, really loosed. You know that we're like batteries to sustaining this this uh, this great what I ended up calling the great parasite. Sometimes I call it the 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 ninja parasite or other things and um i i i saw that very clearly how we're being loosed how we're being manipulated into creating a reality for it in a way uh it is basically we're in the mass i i I really uh, found to to the best of my satisfaction that we were in kind of massive feedback loop on personal and on collective levels where we are basically just reality creation machines. Mm-hmm. and that the 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 great parasite is a force of consciousness that is constantly interacting with us and essentially giving back to us what we're giving it <laughs> so if we <laughs> give it nothing if we say the only way to win is to not play the game right then right. then we we actually take control of that relationship and we we can create very different realities the problem is is that people are being loosed and controlled all over the world, and it's happening in ways that so many people don't aren't even aware of. they think they're above this or that they're they're truthers or that they they can't be affected by this in some way because they're you know doing the research or whatever and it's all just part of tricks to keep people in little mind prisons and loosing cells to allow this to happen and where Where I take this, however, is a little bit different from where a lot of people go. I ultimately don't see this as part of exactly like what you might call a prison planet or um, a reincarnation trap or a soul trap. I think all of those are part of the loose game Mm -hmm. and that we're actually here being, we're in a kind of game. And the, the goal is to consciously exit the game through conscious dying and through transformation in that way, that that's really what all of this is about. And you see that in, shamanism, you see that in you know Tibetan dream yoga. you see it all over the place. And uh, I really think that um we we that's the that's the focus for me. And if it were the focus for a lot of people, I think that uh, the reality construct itself would begin to visibly materially change.
0: Well, that's really well said, man. You killed it in like a few minutes. Uh, I hit all my notes, but people in the chat room. Uh, beyond complaining that I'm vaping, they're also wondering, what is louche, So maybe right. you could tell them. I know, and Graham knows, but maybe you could tell the audience of this sort of esoteric term.
1: All right, yeah. Well, you can call it what you like, and there's different uh, different ways of describing it. In Kali the Destroyer, I define it as hyperdimensional energy given off by the human soul when traumatized, and it can be used for various purposes by other beings. So the idea is that we, kind of like in the Matrix, although that's not where the idea comes from, we are, we are, we automatically as living beings uh, who have a certain consciousness, we have a certain amount of energy, and that energy can be harvested and utilized. In castanade and shamanism, for example, the the mud shadows, the parasitic mind parasites that are kind of all around us in the in the dream sphere. They feed on us until our power, which should be like great, almost like angel wings all around us, massive, a massive uh, halo of energy. That's that's our birthright. But they feed on it until we are just this side of dead and our our energy, our visible energy in that energetic spectrum is down around our toes. Mm. So we are powering the simulation. That's the idea, is that our energy is used to power the simulation. If you want to call it the matrix, that's fine. Where I would uh, caution people in their interpretation of that analogy is, is that I don't think any of this is technological. I think technology is is a huge red herring and smokescreen. It's part of the luching apparatus that none of the simulacrum that we're in is based in technology. I'll tell you where it's based. It's based in our minds. And our minds are not technological in that sense of the term. They are perhaps magical. (laughs) You know, I don't even think they're quantum. I think the quantum is just another funny little uh, ruse of materialism. I, I call it like uh, you know, what is it? Diet Newtonianism. Right. You know. So um I don't know. I don't know where you want me to go with that, but that's no, that's- that's,
0: again that's well said. No, it makes perfect sense. And for the audience, uh Saul has a great quiz about uh whether you're not in a cult. And I think in one part you said if you wondering if you're in a cult, the odds are you probably are. And I'm at a stage in my life Oh, for the record, <clears throat> excuse me. I scored well. I think uh, I forgot what it was, but it was under seven, which means I'm I'm in a I'm in a good place. But that's because I'm at a point of self honesty. I mean, I know how my mind works. I know is you know the mind is the great trickster. Uh, my instincts, my mind as a human part of my job is to to fool myself into believing I'm a hurt animal and I should just stick on this planet. I know that the powers there are always working against me. So I think self-honesty has been half of my battle into understanding uh, how not to be in a cult. And I no longer really um, take sides or I'm one of the extremes. I take the middle path. There's a saying by this Egyptian author, I think uh, Nagweef, I forgot his last name, but it says, uh, how do you know when you're home when all your attempts to escape cease? And the truth is, we're all sort of trapped or in a cult in some way. I mean, every time you look at your phone or even if you try to do uh, something materialistic, in a way you're trying to escape this place, which is home, which is a state of being, if you would. And it always reminds me of this saying in the Buddhist temples, when all the monks are meditating, and somebody asks, how do you know when somebody has reached enlightenment? It says when the monk stops meditating and starts playing with the cat. So when you're sort of plugged into the present. So, um, yeah, I know I kind of went on a tangent. Also, but, one, I'm, but I'm saying I've just come to a place of self-knowledge and honesty. And I know I have a lot of work. And I know part of me is just uh, structured to believe in the machine, right? I mean, as you say, we are just as responsible as the powers above us.
1: Right. And I mean, I question whether there are powers above us in a way that are not somehow linked to us in the design of the construct. You know, when in Gnosticism, for example, and the fallen goddess scenario is one example, when you have the creation of the archons and then this squaring off of the archons against Sophia and humanity kind of simultaneously, all of that sounds like, you know, to me, like you know, the basic plot behind Star Wars, or you know, <laughs> or, or any of these other uh, Hollywood constructs, and we know they're coming from you know what we would consider to be the Archontic hive mind, the 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 uh, great parrot, what I'm calling the great parasite. Mm-hmm. So that story itself, from Gnosticism, and I'm a huge fan of Gnosticism. That story, however, sounds like one of the early stories put out by the great parasite to obscure actually what's going on, which is some kind of division of our consciousness in, in source, in the great Eagle, in Sintiato, or whatever you want to call it that decided to have an experience. And basically it was like the party might start alone, but it can't finish alone. So that it, (laughs) it, it, it farmed itself out into various other, actors in a in a large stage production a big play a big theater of war or whatever you want to call it and here we are trying to remember that and make make and we're trying to make peace with the shadow aspects of ourselves i often consider you talked about jung earlier i often consider the archons to be archetypes of the our own shadow they're not Mm -hmm. really separate from us i'm not convinced that they are real in the sense that a lot of people think they're real um they may also be beings from the dream world that we're interacting with constantly, meaning they're still parts of our dream when we go into the dream world, right? So where is the separation between ourselves and the Archontic presence and ultimately the Demiurge? And ultimately, Sophia, the, the Aeons and the Originator. I mean, it's all me part. You can't, you can't, you can't believe in unity consciousness or say things like all is one and still maintain that all of these players are on fundamentally different teams.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. And at the end of the day, and as you write, uh, if the archons depend on us, if we don't give them any power, they can't work. It's, a, it's as simple as that. Again, we're trapped here because we've given our consent to be trapped.
1: And, yeah, it's a little uh, bit like Natalie Portman in V for Vendetta. You know, she's right. in the door is open the whole time, and she wastes <laughs> all of this time being in prison. But it is just her perception that's keeping her in prison.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely is that too. And uh, these are processes. I mean, uh, but you also talk about, and you mentioned this uh, dream. You talk about dreamscape in your book, and use that as. Part, like the simulation is dreamscape the same as the simulation for the audience? Right. Yes.
1: Um. I like the word dreamscape more than simulation or even simulacrum because it, it gets at what I think is the fundamental operating principle here is that everything is a dream that we ourselves are a dream. We are being dreamt into existence by some aspect of ourselves which is also dreaming into existence our spiritual adversary, its minions, it, You know whether these are NPCs or whatever. I don't, I'm not sure that I know all of the answers to those questions, and I'm not sure that's even important to know the answers to those questions. Because what really has to happen is we have to realize that we are in a malleable dream. So the ch- we're being challenged to change our dream, to become lucid dreamers. I wrote a whole novel about this. It's called Snooze, A Story of Awakening. We are being challenged to harness the power, our innate ability to dream different realities into existence. And I don't really mean just on the micro personal level. I mean, on the macro level as well.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I would certainly agree with it. agree with you there's something we can manifest better if you would. And uh, uh backing up a little bit uh, towards the beginning of your book, Saul, you talk about your favorite writer, Henry uh, Thoreau. Can you tell us why he inspires you so much? Well, I'm not sure I would call him my favorite writer. He is a
1: person I think is okay. a, a and, and is certainly one of my favorite thinkers. Well, it's very interesting because I found myself such a target and outcast over the course of the summer as I was uh, sharing articles that led to this book. So the seed articles were being put out there in the mainstream, and I was just ruthlessly attacked by a community of truthers, uh, actually possibly multiple communities of truthers who just didn't want to hear what I was saying and felt like I was uh, leading to, you know, I was dividing the movement or whatever it was that I was doing as, as opposed to just providing a different perspective and calling some people out on their BS. So I, I suddenly felt myself you know, being Thoreau walking all alone around Walden, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and, and my conquered neighbors just hated my guts and didn't want anything to do with me. And now they won't listen to a word that I say, you know, I I, I would like to think that like Thoreau in the future, maybe people will begin to say, well, actually, this guy had a point. He made several good points. It's, they're they're not even good. They're kind of self evident now. So I have a massive identification with the road that actually goes back to high school. I loved I loved his his way of dealing with violence, the whole nonviolence, civil disobedience thing. He was a huge inspiration for Gandhi, mm-hmm. uh, and so you know. But he was also just kind of ballsy. There's a famous story. Some people say it's apocryphal. I don't know where his. Friend uh, Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was a Harvard professor and was very much part of the cult of of his day, you know, Thoreau was sort of getting out of the cult, right? the uh, The world cult, and so Thoreau went to jail for not paying taxes, and Ralph Waldo Emerson shows up and says, "Henry, Henry, why are you in there?" <laughs> and and uh, Thoreau looks at him and says um, Ralph, why are
0: you out there? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, well said. And yeah, I'm sorry this happened to you. So in effect, perhaps isn't that the great irony that the truther movement has been infected by the parasite? I mean, uh, what do you think of this? I always think, or one of my, uh, ways I live is, um, uh, was that Eric Hoffer has that great saying every great cause starts as a movement, turns into a business, and degenerates into a racket. So, and I see there's no exception. So, do you think this is what's happening to the truther movement? People are established, they're making their money, they've got their following, they're comfortable with this world, with this worldview and the way things are going, and anything that disturbs it like you coming with some new speculations it's just too much for them
1: i think there is something to that in fact in the book i say something along the lines of you know my in my experience uh, most movements start out as communities and end up with leaders and end up as communes with dictators exactly um so so that's been absolutely my experience yes i think that self-interest is absolutely a, a major player in making it so that people will not in these movements and truther movements. And I'm just picking on truthers. I'm, I'm picking on truthers for a particular reason. Um, and, but I like, and I'd like to come back to that. But for now, I, I would say that self-interest is um, a huge player here. Graham Pong, before we went on the air, um, he, he had a quote from who was it? Do you remember the exact quote, Miguel or Graham? Yeah,
0: Pong? yeah Graham, it was from, uh, it was from the jungle in- guy. Yeah. The the, Upton Sinclair. It's difficult. Uh, It's difficult to get
2: a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it.
1: So so there you go. And so and I would I would expand on that to say uh, that's that's the perspective of the leaders or the, the 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 owners of these channels, for example. But for their followers, it's difficult for them to uh understand or embrace something if their salvation depends on them not understanding and embracing it. Because essentially what I'm saying is that what you people believe is crazy. And you are <laughs> you are absolutely serving the great parasite in every conceivable way by embracing these ideas. And you are helping this is and this is why I'm quote, quote unquote picking on truthers, especially doomsday types of truthers, is that in putting all of that mental psychic group collective energy into these scenarios, whether we're talking mud floods or plasma apocalypse or Phoenix phenomenon, it doesn't matter. You are helping bring about doomsday scenarios because you are a creator, a born storyteller, and there's nothing you can do about that. All you can do is control that ability and channel it. And you can do it for for really nefarious purposes, even if you don't know it, or you can do it for the good of people or at the very least for your own good so that you move forward on your own path towards awakening and enlightenment.
0: Well said again, and you are right. And these things get ignited. Like when the the, the tragedy of the Israel-Palestine thing happened, what last week, I can't even remember, but there was, I don't know if it was uh Q himself or all these QAnon were texting me saying, go buy gas now because you know it, things are going down. And I was thinking, well, if everybody rushes to buy gas, that's certainly going to raise the prices. So They're kind of, you know what I mean? If this hysteria catches on, yeah, there's going to be gas shortages and the gas prices are going to go up. See what I'm saying, Saul? It's like yes, absolutely. The, the, the conspiracy causes the reality if you're not careful. So. This is what I, this is what
1: I'm getting at, and this is true over and over. And it's true on our personal levels. We I believe that our stories that we tell about ourselves. Sometimes this happens. Uh, very often, it happens subconsciously. But the stories that we tell about ourselves, the dreams of ourselves that we dream, these things that we energize, they become our quote unquote reality. Now, it's not really a reality. Insofar as we have the ability to change it, even in drastic moments, and we have so many stories of miracle healings and miracle outcomes, and, you know, to prove the point, right? But we get locked into them, and then we become kind of ossified and calcified and frozen into a certain mindset, um Where our energy is loosed from us, it's drained from us, it goes down around our ankles, if you want to look at it <laughs> demonically, and we no longer have the power to withstand the mind control of the great parasite and the reality construct that it is it has built or has it has had us build for it, so we can't withstand the power of the world cult world cult, and we're completely sucked into it. I have not had a cell phone in my life, oh wow. That's pretty said, admirable. Well, you can't function with you know without one. Blah blah blah. Now, is it getting harder to function? Yes. And I, it was. This was not. The, I'm not uh, saying that I did this to either make a point or anything. I just felt that they were so toxic early on, and I just so, I saw where a lot of this was going, and I decided not to play that game. I'm not saying anyone else is going to do it. I make a, a some kind of joke and in my book uh, that, you know, I think people <laughs> would rather face eternal damnation than go a few days without their cell phone. But, you know, uh, me, I'm, I'm, I'm really on a different wavelength. But what I prove to myself is that it's possible to be in but not of the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And back to the idea of uh, how, these, how the parasite takes over these communities or great causes, as we're talking about, i always liked what uh noam chomsky used to say it's not you don't have to oppress a population you don't have to have like an iron grip on your your tribe or your social media group or your political uh arena all you need is a filtering system that says hey, you're fine but those who behave a certain way move up the ladder of the simulation or the hierarchy those who believe this way go up, and then you can get to the top. and by then, you're completely, as they say, mentally sterilized. You're cucked. You're just promoting this propaganda that keeps, like you said, the system safe. Would you agree with that? Is it as simple as that as the filtering system?
1: I think that's a huge part of the filtering system in different compartmentalized areas of knowledge and commerce and uh, and community you know it, there's a kind of ongoing manufacture of consent you know that was actually a lot of people attribute that to chomsky but that was walter Lippmann who who oh, okay. it a long time mm. ago back in the 20s and chomsky kind of went with it <laughs> so you have um you have this happening really at um at every single level of society there's a a wonderful book by one of um castaneda's cohorts um um, named um, Florinda Donner, it's called Being and Dreaming, and she describes the the coercive process in any system of knowledge or thinking, and that you know she basically lays out how we are in this Western mindset, and our even our best attempts at free thinking and open minded scholarship are still built within a construct, a thought construct that we have inherited that is very coercive and powerful. And so in this case, we're talking about how we define reality, what it is, what, uh, what our relationship to reality is. Is, rea- you know, is reality something out there? Are we talking about a materialistic world or is reality an inside job? And I would maintain that reality is not, all, not just first and foremost, but it is always and, it's in, and in its entirety an inside job. It is completely a function of perception and consciousness. There is no there there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would certainly agree, especially the more you start seeing things. And Graham, what do you think? Do you have a comment or a question for Saul? How's your louche going? How's your louche uh, reserves going?
2: Oh, mine are pretty good at the moment. I was going to say that sounds a lot like the plot to Monsters, Inc. Yeah, (laughs) a very Gnostic movie, yeah. Mm, It is. (laughs) No, That's... no, I was going to say, my question is, you know, just when do you see this world
1: call getting started? When do I see the the what getting started?
0: The, the world, world call. World,
1: the world call. When, when did it get started? Yeah. I would say around the time it was created. I mean, I, I don't think that people were ever... Collectively individuated enough, especially in early, earlier times, if you want to, if you accept the historical narrative, which I don't necessarily, but if you want to go with that, that uh, story, um, when they were in a hostile environment being hunted by large animals, um, you know, it was very important to be part of the cult. And, uh, and that just metastasized over time and things like technology have made it a 1000 times worse. I was going to say that was my follow up. Is like civilization itself a part of the world cult? Yeah, and it's part of the game board. It's part of the dreamscape that we are the you know we're playing to exit in some capacity. So it has to be that way. It's not like it's a bad thing necessarily. I'm I'm really not using good and bad or good and evil as reference. I'm not I'm, I'm not doing the duality cult in my analysis of this. I'm simply saying. I believe this is what's going on. I believe that these cults automatically form and that your, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to walk away.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Damn, I wish I had put this up, but... I also, there's this great line, your, your book is so full of very cool memes and charts and all that. Uh, it's almost got a Marshall McLuhan kind of vibe because it's non-linear and it just takes you to some cool places. But uh, you quote Frank Zappa who says, the only difference between a cult and a religion is the amount of real estate they own. Somebody would say that. I guess we want to say what exactly is a cult, soul? Because obviously, in Greco-Roman times, a cult wasn't a bad thing. There were just little franchises to different gods competing for sacrifice and money. You know, you would you would go sacrifice for the cult of Artemis, but then you might visit the cult of Asclepius, and everybody was part of many cults. But what do you mean? You mean more of the modern uh, psychological term of a cult?
1: Right. Uh,
0: I see where you're going with
1: that. Um, so basically, let's say, let's not look at the cult, but let's look at the individual approach to just problem solving or living in the world. So if you're going about your business, intellectually speaking, and you are even doing the research, research or whatever, to, to use a term that, or a phrase that I absolutely loathe, but if, let's say you're doing the research. Mm-hmm. And you're you're doing um, you're doing your your level headed best to just look at the data and a, and figure out what you think, what you believe about what's going on. And someone could challenge you and say, well, I don't believe that at all. And you don't have a large emotional response and you don't have a lot to defend but you have some level of inner gnosis or just comfort with where you are in your journey of discovery, you're not participating in a cult relationship in that exchange. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you become defensive and you, you either um, and you lash out, for example, or you defend your position without doing it intellectually. You do it emotionally. There's an emotional charge that you can feel and that adrenaline and cortisol get going. (laughs) Then You are participating in a cult interaction between two people. That is a cult.
0: No, that makes sense. Again, it's a, are you going to be stoic? Are you going to be above it all? Are you going to let those emotions, which will be manipulated or at least will Uh, calcify, obscure your third eye that will take you off the path and all that. What do you think, Graham? You and I have had a few phone conversations recently about balancing intellect and emotions. What advice do you give for people?
2: No, I agree with a lot of what Saul's saying is that any defense, you need to sit there and try to set aside that emotional, uh, you know, reflex that you have to something, especially, especially some sort of anger. And, you know, it's it's you need to focus on I divide them into two levels. You have your cause and effect and then your shame and blame. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like shame and, you know, you, people can blame you for things that you had nothing to do with and and you shouldn't. You know, you should basically have some sort of psychological buffers to prevent yourself from having damage from that one, because that's just an opinion that's baseless. Mm. And I think that this is sort of my way of saying, you know, a lot of the, the same territory that Saul's mining there. Gonna tag and see what Saul thinks.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you just said, and you said it really well. Um, I, I have a new video out. I mean, it's relatively new, about 10 days old. I think it's the lead video on my YouTube channel, which is uh, which is uh, Saul Luckman Uncensored. And you can go there. It's called Reverse Looshing the Luchers. It's how to, how to practice Aikido uh, or energetic Aikido against bullies or against uh, uh, mental parasites. So I have a couple different versions of the video. So the idea is that if you are in this, this emotionally charged exchange, you lose your Aikido. You, you, you get taken into the conflict, and suddenly you are in the cult. You are either in one cult or another, you know what I'm saying? Because you, it's almost always based on a duality or an oppositional relationship. So when you lose your Aikido and you're not using your opponent, your quote unquote opponent's energy against that person to neutralize the situation, then you're just throwing gasoline on the fire and making everything worse for everybody involved. Enter politics, enter quote unquote science, enter anything you want to talk about, enter religion, of course. So I boil the cult phenomenon down to an internal process that begins to externalize your power. When you begin doing that, you're, that instant, you're being loosed.
2: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft,
1: fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut
2: health. Shop now at Hero.co.
0: No, that makes sense. And even when they talk about simple things like uh, getting in a fight with your spouse or girlfriend or your best friend, you know, once you get into that state of fight or flight, logic is out the door and there's no point in even continuing any form of communication or learning. So in a way, these things are basic, but they're also cosmic. So well said, both of you. Yeah, and uh, I think the other advice you have in your book, Soul... And one of them, like you just said, don't worry about understanding evil, right? We should just take that more or less off the table because it creates what too much duality. They're evil, us and them, all that other shit. Yeah, I basically say that that evil is a psyop. It's mm-hmm. it's a psyop
1: used by the great parasite to divide and conquer. It doesn't have any real basis in reality. If we are all one, if there is unity, if we if we all came from a single creator or, or a source. How can there be anything properly evil? I mean, that's just looking in the mirror and saying you're evil is all that is.
0: And that's being loosed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think the other advice you give too, and that's the idea of uh, walking away or shelving objective truth. Could you tell the audience about this?
1: Yeah, I call that the second biggest psyop after evil in the, in the the in the world, in the history of the world. And it's the same. It's the same thing. Is that there's no real objective here? Here, there's no there. There. And so Gertrude, it's a Gertrude, wonderful Gertrude Stein line. It's attributed to her, anyway. So we can't ever say that we have arrived at the truth. Even the idea of a personal truth, because you hear that language a lot, mm-hmm. is weird because it suggests that you have you have found something immutable or uh that is real. That's a better way of putting it. The the closest thing that we could get to truth, the closest phenomenon that we'll ever get to truth is just realizing the ubiquity of consciousness and ourselves within that matrix of of thought and energy. It's not so much that we know exactly how it functions. And even if we've had an epiphany or a, an NDE or something like that, that's really uh, revealed a lot to us. It doesn't mean we've gotten at the truth. It means that we have understood some operating principles, and we we are beginning to um, understand ourselves in the reality creation better. But that I believe that is a never-ending process until you are fully God again. You so- are. Already- once again you've yo-yoed out and then you yo-yo back and that's that's the that's the that's the breath that's the pulse the heartbeat of the creative process
0: For sure yeah that's one thing uh, that has helped me a lot recently or at least a few years ago or it's one of my mantras and it's not my personal truth this could change because I always leave myself open to uh, adjust and tweak my viewpoints i said uh embrace the ambiguity mm. you don't have to take a stance on every issue on the next big thing you don't have to you ha- you can say i don't know and more will be revealed if it's meant to be and uh it's helped me out a lot in my ideas and it's actually made my mind sharper in reasoning what do you think of that
1: oh i lo- i love that and i honor you for doing that so i wish more people would do that i mean i was a uh, how to speak uh, about this subject without uh getting getting us in trouble you know the last few years have involved certain a certain phenomenon that a lot of us have questioned and i was i was one of the hardcore questioners of the phenomenon and as i as i uh, wrote this book i I began to realize that, oh my God, I was in a duality cult you know it was the it was the science the quote unquote science versus the quote unquote scientism duality yeah. cult, right a big this is a cult with like two parts or two two different cults, however you want to look at it, mm-hmm. and that really there's there's no objective truth there it's almost like they're in we're looking at a tower of Babel scenario where the two camps and maybe this is what happens with all camps who disagree they are actually receiving different data feeds from the construct. So they are evaluating different information and coming to different conclusions about their res- their respective realities. So this basically has led me to, you know when I encounter someone, you know, wearing something on their face uh, at, at, you know, when I go into a store or something, to just drop the judgment around it, because who really knows what the hell is going on? And if you think that you know, two things are certain. You're in a cult and you're being looshed.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I think that's well said. And of course, uh, I think something you write about is, unfortunately, as the old Dune thing, fear is the mind killer. Once it enters your brain, And I've been there in my life, but there's no, nothing's going to change your mind. You can't change that person's mind. They're trapped. They've created their own world and you're not allowed in this world. And don't you think sometimes the best you can do is, is a avoid them and B have compassion for them. Right. Right.
1: I think that's exactly right. Avoid them if you don't want to deal with it, if you can't avoid them. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying to go against your own conscience or to not have body autonomy or anything like that. I mean, I I was very damaged by the medical establishment when I was younger. And so I'm extremely Mm -hmm. sensitive to these issues, but I don't, have the fear around them that I used to have, nor do I have the judgment around people who make different decisions that I used to have. And for me, that is evidence of kind of decultifying myself and taking back my own energy and power. And it's had the effect, because I think they're interchangeable, of increasing my consciousness of the whole situation. So basically it's like energy equals power, equals consciousness, equals prana, equals kundalini, equals mojo, just, you know, all of these are talking about the same phenomenon, and it's the building block of what we call reality. So the more you have of it, the more powerful a creator you can be.
0: I think that's it. Yeah. Be a creator. Tell a different story. Tell a better story. I like this quote from your book. I'm bringing this up right now. It's from K- Khalil Gibran. He says, life without liberty is like a body without spirit. So that's a great quote. And I think that's what uh the powers that be would like, right? They want uh the human being to be this organization that's dead, mechanistic, without spirit.
1: Yeah, I think that's the that's the oppositional or adversarial end game, or at least the apparent end game. I'm not altogether sure that's the end game. I think it's again the mind killer fear, it's it's you know, fear. Is you know is uh, Fauci's evidence? I mean, false evidence appearing real. Um, mm-hmm. We can't take for granted that we are up against up against people who want to destroy humanity. That that's that is a, one of these truther assumptions that doesn't necessarily have a basis. In fact, what if we are up against a wily opponent using? Theatrics and a certain amount of violence and terrorism, of course, to make people believe that they are in a life or death situation so that people will wake the flock up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely could be it. And I like this quote too from uh, an author we were talking about before, Flannery O'Connor, who we, we both love. And you have to quit confusing madness with a mission. So <laughs> yeah that's very specifically about the truther movement mm-hmm. and uh, again
1: uh, the 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 real danger in the truther movement is that i believe that they are the spearhead for creating these potentially negative scenarios on a large scale. So the mainstream the the power whatever you want to call them the elites you know the 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 powers whatever i mean all of those are terms that are deeply problematic but um they they're very happy to have truthers doing this. It creates the duality, the the, the loosing setup, the fear for destroying the rational ability to see what's going on. It um it allows for the creation of the very end games that people are fearing, and it's just a brilliant chess move on the part of the great parasite and to enlist all of these truthers to bring about these outcomes or to move the dial towards those outcomes is just poetic. And it's also just how it works. I, I theorize that the great parasite simply has no innate power. Mm -hmm. It's, it has nothing. It is essentially a reflective mechanism.
0: No, that makes, yeah, that makes perfect sense too. And yeah. And I know sometimes there's an issue or what do they say? Uh, If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I'm sure you don't agree with that because, again, there is that sort of uh, stoic, Gnostic, Buddhist skepticism where you don't have to commit to everything and let your emotions. You can stand back and sort of observe. And by observing, as you say, just by observing, you'll see reality fold and change before you.
1: Yeah, you know that quote you just you just gave about standing for something you'll fall for anything. I think the great parasite wrote that. <laughs> it's a perfect mind mind screw to turn things absolutely upside down.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the old uh, Anakin Skywalker or George W. B. V- Bush uh, either stand with us or against us. Again, it's trying to get that Fight or flight. I've gotta take a stance. I gotta pick my tribe and we're just gonna play this football game every Sunday with the other side, us exactly. and them. And, or and on the other they side there'll be utopia.
1: The, I'm mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt you, but you reminded sure. me of that story. First they came for this group, then they came for that group, and I did nothing, blah blah blah. It's the same loosing, it's exactly it's exactly the same playbook and it runs over and over and over. What it's basically getting you to invest in is the idea that we live in a reality when actually we live in our minds and when we pull away from the construct with our mental energy our emotional energy that's how we really change it otherwise we simply feed it
0: yeah who are you going to give your energy to simple as that Uh, And what about you? Uh, You guys on the chat, any questions or remarks? There's certainly varied remarks, pro, negative, uh, both sides, but uh, no problem with that. But let me know if you in the chat have any questions. Uh, Graham, any questions or remarks?
2: no no i i think he nails everything pretty well you know i have a little different take on you know some of the uh duality versus unity kind of thing but you know that's uh everybody's entitled to different opinions so
0: yeah we won't steal your luge for saying something different <laughs> oh my god let's give this guy a scarlet a draw scarlet a on his uh on his avatar or something like that scarlet <laughs> yeah. l yeah <laughs> <laughs> the louge. The louge, <laughs> louge. Yeah. It's such a great term.
1: Lousia, ah. baby, so why don't you kill me?
0: <laughs> I think that's the other thing, right, Saul? So we have to learn to laugh at ourselves because we are pretty humorous creatures. We're shaved apes with this divine spark within us. So, yeah, yeah. we're funny.
1: Yeah, we're funny even when we're not trying to be.
0: <laughs> we're trying to make a point. Trying to be important. Well, you know, why don't we get to some solutions, and this is something I have been talking about for years, and I recently talked to a professor at uh, Michigan, Arthur versus Luis, and he was talking about sort of the modern movement, whether it's truther, truther, or even, you know, even antifa and that these sort of neo-gnostic movements where, you know, there's archons and reality is obviously they they've realized reality is sort of fake and all this stuff and there's a great battle and all that and he always um he he said and i something i've been saying the difference between let's say the ancient gnostics and these neo-gnostic movements today that we've talked about is the idea of transcendence in other words the ancient gnostics would look and say man you've got a small part of the formula yeah you can intellectually talk about what we're talking about right luge and red pilling and you know fight the cabal and that's all great but what about the really important stuff which is the transcendence the inner journey the altered states of mind the real work that's going to get you to you know bring out the christ within or sophia and all that would you rather Would you agree that the problem today is that nobody wants to do the work; they just want to intellectually fight online?
1: Yeah, you have all these info heads. You know, I I just see bobblehead dolls just fighting each other. You know, with no heart, really, just a huge head and and no real foundation because they're very unstable. Um, I mean, I'm just I'm being a little extreme there, but yes, I mean, the whole concept behind the Great Parasite and the simulacrum, the dreamscape, seems to be to divert people through various ruses, into looking outside themselves for solutions. I say over and over again, the only way out is in. So any any conversation of an exit from the simulation should focus almost exclusively on internal processes to empower that outcome. And these have to do with our imagination, with our dreaming, with our uh, our cutting ties to things that are taking our power away, and with building up our power through various uh, conscious strategies. And I talk about both sides of that in my book, the the not doing and the doing for moving towards this goal.
0: No, it makes sense. It's that... Uh sometimes i use this quote in my show and that's from uh, genesis peter gabriel the carpet crawlers i, I
1: love that
0: but yeah well, what is he saying you gotta get in to get out and yeah. it's the most simple line but it makes sense it's like that's where the game is won that's where the solutions go inward to the god within to all the answers to integrate your shadow to honor your ancestors, to you know, see the throne of God as above, so below; as within, so without. So you would agree with that one, right? Oh, a hundred percent. What is the line?
1: Gotta get in to get out. It's so beautiful. He's like, he's like just, you know, but he's really describing kind of an acid trip or something like that, where they're like crawling around. That's, that's my interpretation. They're sort of crawling around on the floor, but they're, they're, they're sort of like us in the simulation. Mm-hmm. And, and the, maybe the download that he's receiving uh, before writing the song, it's just, again, my interpretation. And I'm not basing this on anything I've ever read, but I interpret it to mean that, you know, you actually can get out of the carpet you know, get out of the weeds, out of the bog, the swamp, whatever. But you can only do that by going within. And that was the whole psychotropic aspect of of the moment that was telling him that.
0: Oh, well said. Yeah, that's from the concept album, uh, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Great album before. Yeah, yeah, back when Phil Collins was just the drummer, great drummer. And he was great as a singer when Peter Gabriel left. Don't like his solo career, and I'll die on that hill. But um, yeah, great album. I've got I've to gotta check that album out. And I see a lot of questions, but unfortunately, please super chat them because I can't get to them. It's pretty fast. Uh, but somebody, thank you very much. Francis of Sophia Clatt, can you repeat that Flannery o- O'Connor quote? I'd be, del- I'd be delighted to. And it says, you have to quit confusing madness with omission. So there you go uh that even though philip k digg did say it's some sometimes an appropriate response to reality to go insane but that's yeah,
1: a I put that too in the book i have yeah. that
0: oh yeah, yeah you do mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but yeah here's a question for orphic omelet question um left unintegrated what do you suppose would be the ultimate outcome of this pull into the maw of the great parasite slash collective shadow? Brahma
1: awakening pulling us
2: through the cosmic eye.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question, and it's something I've thought about. I'm I'm not sure if if this is something that ends until everyone leaves. <laughs> so I have this feeling that that the idea of cycles and calendars and all this stuff and the end days and whatnot. Basically, these are so repeated. All the eschatology and everything is so just repetitive um, and kind of mind-numbing in a way.
0: Unoriginal.
1: (laughs) Unoriginal, absolutely. Yeah, because it goes back through so many different iterations, back through various quote-unquote scriptures. Um, I have a feeling that this this is a simulation or a dreamscape that just keeps running so that we don't ever get pulled into anything until we get out there's a line i can't remember who who said it it's not mine but i don't remember the the um originator of the quote but it was that um no one gets left behind
0: Mm. yeah of course yeah there's that whole idea of uh well the, the Bodhisattva and people scholars have called the Gnostics ancient Gnostics Christian Bodhisattvas they were like it's, it was they weren't just going to wake up and fly across a portal and and become melt into the monad. It was a question, okay, I wake up now I gotta wake others up. It's as simple as that it's love and compassion for others,
1: yeah, and I think that's one one strategy and that that's one sort of dharma you know that people have and then for other people it is to just go on and show that it can be done mm-hmm. you know i think about all the um you know the the shamans who have uh lit up the fire from within if you believe that, that those types of stories or the the um the clear light that you get in in yogic dreaming or in the uh the activation of the rainbow body uh among the tibetans where clearly something uh I want to say supernatural has happened and they've left this world, but their body's gone, basically. So what's going on with all of those uh, those exits from the matrix? Clearly, they, these are at the very least wayshores about a certain, a certain element, a certain key pivotal element of our human potential
0: yeah it reminds me, I was doing some research on this book, and that I'm writing, or it should come out next year, late next year, at this rate, but i was uh there's this idea in Buddhism that souls are sort of in the bardo and they're moving around, and something that will attract them is the the sound of a couple having sex. It's if they're really loud, the soul will be so curious and go down and oh my god, I got trapped in this bottom, you know, I'm trapped. So be careful with the sound of people mating. That's another yeah. In well,
1: Castaneda and Don Juan, if if you ended up incarnating then through that union, you would have enormous personal energy. So you would actually have enough energy to withstand a lot of the assault, the assaults of the world cult and maybe become a way shower again or a teacher or that kind of thing. So even if you got trapped, it's not necessarily a bad thing because mm-hmm. you would actually have a great deal of personal energy. Population, oh. you know, that's where it's at.
0: <laughs> yeah. And as we get to the end, I just have a couple of questions. One mm-hmm we'll go back to advice people. Cause of course, hopefully there's people out there that want advice again, altered states of mind go within. that's where the, us talking about archons and the Demiurge all day is just a small part of it. The, the actual, you got to go in to get out as uh, Peter Gabriel saying, but there was one part you, are you against terrain theory? And you're talking about in the black death, putrefied bodies rain down from the sky before it spread. Yes. Yes. I mean, it I've was- heard about the, the blue smoke on the rafters. There's that conspiracy theory. There's right, some right. alien disease, but uh, also I didn't the other. In
1: that world. Yeah. So that was that, that's just one of the the data points that have come down to us. But like anything else, the problem with all of these data points is that none of it's real. It's all just stories. Everything is ultimately a story. I believe that the. The you know there's that line that the 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 victors get to tell the story and I think there's tremendous truth to it but it's not in the way it's usually understood. It's that the victors are the best storytellers and they can retroactively create the very reality that they're telling a story about because it's all going to manifest through through uh, the application of power and attention and this gets even more um, pronounced when you have groups of people. Like the Vatican or whatever, telling these stories uh, for long periods of time with, tr- with mm-hmm. a tremendous loudspeaker that, that enables them to essentially implant their version of reality onto the world construct.
0: Yeah, and even, and it happens today, speaking of cults. I mean, look at Wikipedia. That is history that can be changed because of this cult that runs each Wikipedia page. Absolutely. And reality can be changed immediately. You know, you can go back to Wikipedia and it's like, oh, they change it. And who did it? The cult that runs that Wikipedia page who has the power. It's so true. It's a, it's a What's method. really
1: weird with the, with the uh, Mandela effect, Miguel, is that yeah. the, there are stories that have come uh, from a number of, of, uh, of places, different people, about this happening not in the online world exclusively, but literally text and written inscriptions in old family Bibles changing. Mm -hmm. It's really weird. So the idea that we can just go back to our old books and find some kind of demarcation and figure out, Oh, that's real. Everything else is malleable after that date in history is just laughable.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like the old one where we all knew that the Bible says the lamb will lie down with the lion and in all the printed texts, except for, I think maybe people have exception. It's the lamb will lie down with the wolf. wolf. I like, know. Yeah, like what we the are,
1: hell happened? Are. But the, you know, my, my point is that, that the entire reality, and I'm not the only one saying this kind of thing. You have Matt over at quantum of conscience saying very similar things that the entire reality is basically a giant Mandela effect. It's the way it works. If you want to kind of boil it down, everything is malleable, backwards and forwards. That's what we live we're living in.
2: My favorite one of those Mandela effects is the Fruit of Loom cornucopia. We do have an additional question for Saul. It's from uh, Free Thought Farmers, Harrisite. Uh, Aforementioned push for resolution via in- the internalist individualist reality equals another attempt to detach from contextual inherited powers, i.e. family. Is that a
1: question or a statement?
2: They say it's a question, but it, it, I guess they're asking like you what, what your thought, it seems like a statement, I guess they're kind of asking what your
1: thoughts on it are. Yes, um, families are, are massive cults, I mean, they they are just by their nature, so do the math.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah the i mean so much of our our mannerisms how we see the world how we react has been just us coded by our families and we can't even say coded by our families as children our job is to absorb all this data which we think will keep us safe usually does so we become just uh, carbon copies of our family and our ancestors and we lose the fact uh we lose the fact that we are more that we have more of a mission that uh, again part of uh, the family structure and the tribe structure is to play it safe to be herd like to accept reality as it is as long as it gives us food shelter and sex which yeah we're right. better than that yeah
1: i mean i i make the point in the book that um that far from being just a, a natural thing, the, the the tribal urge appears to be perhaps unnatural, that the real, the really natural urge is to become more sovereign as an individual. And that doesn't mean you can't turn around and help other people or even belong to groups or organizations. Again, back to the emotional charge, back to how you're interacting with all of that. Um, but the 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 point here is that really, this is this is a solo mission that we're on, and we're, we're being we're, we've been fed a bunch of bunk about uh, uh, community and groups and saving the world. And all of it is just distractions. In, in, unless you start with the solo aspect of this, you're lost. Mm-hmm.
0: All about that self knowledge. So as we get to the end again, I wanted to get into some, uh, as they say, usable stuff, practical stuff, or you know, the real, the real prize, and all that, on all this, and uh, all this discussion is, of course, the techniques to break out of the world cult. You gave a, gave a couple, uh, yeah, get away from this idea of evil, absolute truth. We talked about, yeah, embrace the ambiguity. I mean, if we're mystics and we don't believe in linear time and a malleable reality and all that, then, yeah, embracing ambiguity should be the first thing, should be something we can do, something children do very well, magic realism and and breaking down the reality into stories. But you give a lot of things that have worked for you for your inner journey. Uh, Would you like to talk about them briefly? You mentioned lucid dreaming. Uh, chai gong, walking in nature, which I highly recommend and promote, following your bliss, anything else, or does it really depend on the individual?
1: Well, obviously, it depends on the individual, and I was really providing those not as a kind of recipe that's universal, but as just a thought experiment for people to see what resonates and to maybe spin off of it and find their own way of doing this, because I don't think there's one way of doing this. I absolutely don't. Um, I will say that The unplugging aspect, the what I call the nuclear option. I make this whole joke, you know, riffing off of George uh, W. Bush's uh, mispronunciation of nuclear, where (laughs) I call it the nuclear option. You know, they underestimated me. (laughs) Uh,
0: The terrorizers. Going to
1: get those terrorizers that's right so so the and that's so there's a whole story about bush and and that I, I work into this this somewhat stream of consciousness book <clears throat> anyway the the unplugging is very important and i actually recommend that people start with the unplugging from the cult the world cult where that's going to let your your natural power begin to to uh, increase just like you've, uh, you've plugged up a hole in a dam or something like that. The water level is going to start to rise and you're going to start to to be more powerful just by not doing a lot of things. Shamanically, this is called not doing. It's also called stalking. And so you pull away and not stalking like a, in a bad way, but stalking in a hunter type of way where you're hunting an animal or a prey and the prey is power. So you are gathering your power by doing doing a lot of not doings. And I, I, I look at different areas of contemporary life where you might consider not doings, including like your relationship to going to college. You know, I mean, that's one of the great indoctrination uh, platforms in existence. And I, you know, I, <laughs> my line was something along the lines of, yeah, like, I'm not sure it's possible to attend four years of university to say nothing of additional years of graduate school and still be in your right mind. um and i think that's truer today than it's ever been so i talk a lot about things not to do and then i have another chapter that's devoted to strategies that you can implement that are more that are more active that are like doings and you mentioned qigong martial arts in general can can be really good ways of building up your personal power your chi that's another another word for personal power basically uh anything that's going to unleash your creativity that's going to uh activate your bliss. That's going to give you that youthful feeling of excitement and, and um, kind of uh, uh, expectation without expectation. If I could just make something up on the spot where you just, you're just excited for what's going to happen and you know, it's going to be good. And you're just in the groove when you, when you feel that feeling just figure out what's causing it and do more of it. Don't fix it. If it ain't broke and I get into like different types of movement and uh, that kind of thing. And one of the one of, in addition to there's a lucid dreaming aspect, I go into some techniques for lucid dreaming, some concepts around that. And a really big one is a shamanic uh, methodology called recapitulation, which is a breathing exercise, typically, where you are basically going back over your life, especially the emotionally charged parts of your life. And you are breathing in any of your energy that you left in those scenes or with those people you're breathing that in and then you're breathing out all of the energy that you took. That's not yours. So you're, it's a house cleaning process that can have remarkable healing effects across a range of issues. In addition to just building up your power and consciousness and changing your life in a, a very fundamental
0: way. Yeah, well said. And at the, at the end of the day, it's what works for you. And, uh, you are you but there are many tools out there that's the advantage of technology there are tools out there there are ways you can go to different uh, healers temples and you can find what works for you incorporated use different things and if you go in that inner journey you're going to find pure amazement yeah and i love that thing about breathing Uh, at you me using active imagination and going to my traumatic events in my life and actually In a way, fixing them. I'm not saying I'm Mandela fixing, but I put myself there and I have this dialogue with my younger self. I have this dialogue with the abuser or sometimes when I was being abusive, when I was on drugs, I have a dialogue with this idiot version of myself. I talk Mm -hmm. to the people I terrorized and we kind of work it out. And sometimes we work it out in real life.
1: So that's it's very, very similar. The the shamanic uh description of that is erasing personal history. You go back, uh, and you re-experience it, you breathe it in and out, yeah. uh, and you use you use a kind of active imagination component as you're remembering the scene. And it is remarkable what can change and the the really amazing thing now. I don't necessarily have a a a hugely uh, rose-colored version of where we're going right now, but I don't know where we're going. And one of one of the um, places that where I get kind of excited about where we might be able to go when enough people, if enough people, do their inner work comes from this realization. You can recapitulate yourself and change someone else's life if you're recapitulating scenes with them that, that were also meaningful or impactful in their lives. And so you can actually change the world around you. I saw this happen in my own family
0: Mm.
1: by simply recapitulating your own memories.
0: Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And and another technique for those of you out there when I tried, it was of all people was Tony Robbins. He used to say, if you, if it's too painful to go to that place where your parents hit you or God forbid something worse, or there was an accident or a death, uh, you can be the director and change the scene. You can put goofy music. You can have balloons That's falling cute. from the sky. You can turn the, your abuser into a clown or put chains on him and then recreate the scene where you don't have to go through the pure pain of the recreation. So you are in charge of the past. You can Mandela affect it. I love that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. Well, we are at the end. I already have it on the show notes, a link to your book. I will have it on the show notes when the audio version comes out tomorrow on all podcast providers and Rockfin and Odyssey and a few other places. But for those listening in audio, where can people find out about you? Where do you want to send them, Saul?
1: Yeah, well, two places, if I can include two. Uh, The first is my Substack, which is a lot of people don't even know what that is. But basically, it's my blog, (laughs) where (laughs) there's a paywall also for my exclusive and premium content. So it's saulluckman.substack.com. So, SaulLuckman.substack.com, and that's where that's the only place you can read the World Cult and You. It's an exclusive on my Substack. Okay. So, some people are like, "Well, can I just buy a copy?" Well, no, you can you can do a free week trial and go in and read the whole book. It's not even that long, and then, and then cancel cancel your subscription if you want to, and don't don't pay anything. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, other place is my YouTube channel, which is it's at Saul Luckman Uncensored. Um, so if you'll look that up, Saul Luckman Uncensored on YouTube, and please, please subscribe. I would love to, I'd love to meet you in that space, and um, you know, I'm producing a lot of content right now, so, and a lot of different kinds of content, so so please head on over.
0: Awesome, yeah, definitely highly recommend the book. I'm going to subscribe to your YouTube channel. I didn't know you were back on YouTube, Uh, but it's good to know, and you say people can interact with you in your sub stack? How does that work? Is there a yeah. comment or they can email you or
1: there's uh there's the ability to comment on various posts or mm. you know, books or whatever, and there's a chat function that uh, is increasing in activity every day. So um join us in the chat. It's a just a you can just post your own posts or respond to mine or whatever in, in my in my particular chat on my sub stack.
0: Awesome. Well, great. Uh, Definitely check it out. Well, I want to say, Graham, thanks for being the Sideshow Bob today. And I'm just saying it because people always say I look like Kelsey Grammer. So (laughs) I'm not going to argue. But, uh, yeah, you can be Sideshow Bob, Graham. Thank you. That's a much better fit than Roz. Roz is much prettier than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, but thank you very much for keeping us company, Graham. And uh, Saul, thank you very much for coming on the show. And I already look forward to the next time we can stir up a a hornet's nest here at A.M. Bite. I would love to do that with you, Miguel.
1: Thank you for having me. And And nice to meet you too, Graham Pong. Great to meet you, Saul.
0: And everybody there, thank you for showing up to this Aeon Byte. Of course, there'll be the replay, replay on a lot of places. Please support uh, this podcast any way you can. I can use your help. Support Saul. Support all independent creators that are fighting for your louche and making sure that you don't get under the spell of the mind killer that is fear. So that's it. Have a good rest of your Mars day. And as I always say, yeah, create better than the creator gods and write your own gospel, live your own myth. Take care, everybody. And there you have it, you shining crazy diamonds. Soul exposing and finding a way out of the Archon simulation. Don't let them take no more of that loosh from ya. As a bonus for all subs, I'll include part of our last interview with Saul. He focuses more on traditional Gnosticism and John Lamb Lash Gnosticism, so you don't want to miss it. For this fantastic bonus, please become a Patreon, AB Prime member, or Red Circle subscriber. Let's continue building a community of true seeker warriors. And no, it's not a cult because you are the final authority. Have always been. And I'm not good with the whole getting along with people thingy stuff. If you're a sub, let us to the bonus. If not, keep waking up. What's going on over there? Welcome to
2: Truth Battle. I'm Rex Smith here, sheeple.
1: Yeah, he's an internet conspiracy guy. He is nuttier than a squirrel turd. <laughs>
2: I'm going to be telling you the truth you won't get from the fake news Hollywood elites with their black helicopter chemtrails from deep state FEMA camps that hide Hillary's emails about Benghazi, written in the ancient tongue of the snake people, the Illuminati. They take supple Christian men off the street and force them in the Canaanite ritual gay sex in coffins while they dance naked, giving each other lizard man courtesy reach-arounds as a sacrifice to the online meme Momo. I'm Rex Smith. Stay awake and...
0: What a load of balloon juice. Hey, I heard that. Rex Smith speaks the truth, my friend. He talks about the stuff that you and the lamestream media want to try and cover up.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fire to support gut health. Shop now
2: at hero.co.